0: Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. You know, everyone loves to hate Congress, at least in a general sense. And over the years, Congress' congressional approval has really reflected that. Right now, just 26% of the nation believes Congress is doing its job well. And that's the highest number since February of 2017, when a Gallup poll had that number at just 28%. There are good reasons for some of that discontent. Congress has been unable to deal with issues such as immigration or health care or climate change in meaningful ways. And in the era of Donald Trump, it has only occasionally been really effective at providing pushback or even holding the president accountable for his actions. So is Congress doing its job? Is Congress doing the job That the Constitution outlines for Congress when it imagined the people's representatives in Washington, their direct representatives and indirect representatives as a co-equal branch of our tri-headed government. Is that working today the way it was envisioned or have we seen it erode and have we seen the role of Congress diminish over time? And if that's so, what are we to do about changing that? What are our options as citizens. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And joining us to talk more about that constitutional role is Richard Primus. He is a constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. Richard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning uh, of our republic and the imagining of this co-equal branch of government, Congress. It is Outlined uh, in the in the Constitution, in in the Articles, it is Article One uh, where we where we contemplate the role of this representative part of government. Um, what was that role supposed to look like?
1: So, in the beginning, Congress, in some sense, isn't just a co-equal branch; it's the most important branch. It's Article One, and that's not just arbitrary. Congress is supposed to be the branch in that vision that sets national policy, that sets a direction, decides where we're going. The other two branches are imagined in some respects to be co equal, but really in seriously important ways to be subordinate to the direction that Congress is supposed to set. And the other important thing to remember about, uh, about that vision is that Congress is supposed to be representative But that doesn't mean that people who are elected to Congress are just supposed to go and vote the preferences of their constituents. They're not just supposed to be sort of an an adding machine for what the voters who sent them wanted. They're supposed to be able to deliberate, to listen to each other, to learn from each other, to compromise, to formulate policies um, that sometimes might not be exactly what their constituents wanted, but the turnout to be the best thing once you get people in a room listening, considering carefully compromising and working things out. And then they're supposed to go explain to their constituents why those were the right things to do. I would say those are two big things to think about as Congress's mission as originally understood. Hmm.
0: So, uh, cast us forward then, Congress over The lifetime of the republic has played different roles at different times. I would imagine it's fair to say that they have met their constitutional role in some regards and in some times, but fell short in others. Uh, Where are we now with what Congress is up to?
1: So um, something quickly about on each of the two fronts that I identified. First, Congress is in some respects much more responsive to its constituents than it was at the beginning. That doesn't mean they're more responsive in all ways. A lot of the problems that we have are about who Congress is really responsive to and who it isn't. Um, but But in many respects, Congress is much more in touch with its constituents than it used to be. The problem is that that has also made them less deliberative they are more bound to holding to their own view and less to considering and coming up with you know, better judgments and compromising and listening for reasons that we can talk about. The other is that since the middle of the 20th century, there's been a really pronounced shift of power to the president. And that's for several reasons. One is, is because the president has a much bigger and deeper staff. So that branch has usually better information about lots of things. It's more able to choose a direction and stick to it because there's less in the way of internal negotiations and internal checks. Um, When the framers wrote the Constitution, they assumed that because Congress was the most important branch, it was also the most powerful and therefore the one that most needed to be checked, which is why we have two separate houses. The executive, they were less worried about, so it doesn't have internal checks. That means it can take a direction and stick to it better. And then a hugely important consideration, in the modern world, the president can set the agenda by directing the public conversation much more easily than anyone else in the government can. This is what we call the bully pulpit, Mm -hmm. right? In a world of modern national media, the president is always a story, and what the president talks about shapes the conversation and shapes the agenda and this isn't just a 21st century phenomenon this was true already by the middle of the 20th century it vastly increases the president's ability to set direction at the expense of congress and it means that part of what congress shifts into doing is oversight of the president not setting the direction as much but trying to police abuses and you're calling the president out if what the president does doesn't make sense and to be the audience that the president has to sell on the direction where the president wants to go because congress can hold hearings about what's going on because congress can limit funding because congress can make trouble for the president by holding up personnel appointments and those sorts of things the limit on that though is that even to do that well congress has to be well informed and for some structural reasons Congress is much less well informed than it used to be about important policy. Mm-hmm. So part of it is about the way campaigns are funded. Um, this is a mess, of course, right um, It costs a lot of money to run a modern campaign because we have so little in the way of campaign finance limits and we don't have a public financing system, which means members of Congress spend tremendous amounts of time raising money to run for reelection. Mm-hmm. And time that you spend raising money for re-election is time that you do not spend getting smart about the policy issues that you're supposed to be making decisions about. And it influences everything about what they do. So it, um, hearings become less opportunities for them to inform themselves and more opportunities to talk in front of media in ways that position themselves well as characters to whom people want to give money and then at the same time that congress's own time for getting smart about issues is reduced by the need to raise money congress has drastically reduced the expertise that comes to it from its own staff congress just has a lot fewer people with a lot less expertise working for it and supplying good information than it did 40 or 50 years ago.
0: Hmm. So, oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, I, um, I, would, I would just do one other thing, and, um, which is, and sometimes that means Congress is just less well-informed, and sometimes it creates an information vacuum. And what fills that vacuum is often information from lobbyists and other groups that aren't there really to inform Congress in a way that's supposed to make them smart and deliberative, but in ways that are just supposed to tell them what to think, what to say, how to vote for us.
0: Hmm. So, so when I think about uh, Congress now and the big things that Congress is unable to help solve for the nation, things like immigration policy, uh, the ongoing debate over health care, although in fairness, they did pass massive, massive health care reform uh, in 2009, I believe it was. Um, when we sort of put that in, in the context of Congress's constitutional role, how far are they from from Performing that role effectively, uh, and and are we headed in the right direction or in the wrong one? So I'm afraid the direction
1: isn't good, which doesn't mean it can't be turned around. Um, but I mean, your your previous guest mentioned uh, an attitude among serious policy people in Washington mm-hmm. that now just isn't really a time when serious policy can be made in Congress, uh, and. To a significant extent, that's probably true. Um, One of the most important questions under present circumstances is, do we have unified government or divided government? Are the houses controlled by the same party or by different parties, and and also figure in the president? When all of the branches are controlled by the same party, there's an opportunity to move serious policy. Um, The Affordable Care Act that you referred to uh, was enacted in the two-year window when both houses and the presidency were controlled by Democrats. Mm -hmm. When we have different circumstances, like we have now, right, we have two houses controlled by two different parties, it is very difficult for major policy to move through. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible. There are some things that can happen. Um we got a little bit of movement on criminal justice reform in the present Congress, for example, um, but big thoughtful policy is very difficult to move in a situation like that. And in large part, it's because, um, Congress has nationalized the competition between the parties. Um, it, you, members of Congress are more and more dependent on national ideological constituencies than they used to be, That is to say, as opposed to being dependent on their local constituency within the district. Again, a lot has to do with fundraising. If what you need to be reelected is X million dollars, you're going to go where you can get that X million dollars. And for lots of people, a lot of that is outside the district. And at the same time, Congress has, in a well-intentioned move, um, several years ago, Congress eliminated the process of earmarking. Earmarking used to be a process whereby Congress could appropriate funds that would be spent on specific projects in people's districts. And it was often derided as a kind of corruption, right? Like, how many federal dollars for what sort of fish hatchery are you going to get for your district that you can sneak into a bill? Mm. And to some extent... You know, that's a fair criticism. But one of the other things that that system did was it created possibilities for compromise. Here, there's a policy that's moving through Congress, and I'm iffy on that policy. I don't know if I really want to go along with that. But is there a sweetener in it for me and my constituents? If you can bring people along with the things that are locally important to them, you can put together coalitions for bigger things. The more you make it hard for individual members to bring home the things that are locally important to their constituents, mm. the more you make them dependent on national constituencies that are interested in big ideological issues from opposing sides. And then the system has become more and more one of conflict between two ideologically opposing sides that don't really compromise with each other. And so when we have divided government, it's hard to move things through. Mm there's one other factor maybe that should be mentioned here, which is again, just a a fact about how members of Congress spend their time. 50 years ago, most members of Congress spent a lot more time in Washington than they do now. Mm -hmm. Now, most of them spend a lot more time home in their districts. Maybe they commute back and forth and they are a couple of days in Washington and a couple of days at home every week. Um, From... One perspective that might seem like a good thing, right? It seems like the members are more in touch with their constituents. The downside is they get to know each other much less well. When they spent most of their time in Washington, they lived with these other people. Their kids went to school with the kids of the other people. They had to get to know them and work with them. And you come to understand over time that the people on the other side aren't monsters and some of the things that they want make sense and some of the things that they want you to disagree with but you can live with and compromise with in the present circumstance where most members spend as little time in Washington as they can and even when they're there a lot of what they're doing is fundraising they don't spend a lot of time casually or otherwise with members of the other party except you know, in like, you know Even like a a hearing, even, is a partisan conflict situation. Um, That also has made Congress a place that's less deliberative. And again, from the beginning, we have this tension. We want Congress to be democratically representative in the sense of being in touch with its constituents and doing what its constituents want. On the other, we want Congress to be reflective, deliberative, thoughtful, not just to go in and vote what you thought you were going to go in when you got your instructions to come here, but to be open to listening to things and sometimes saying to the people back home, look, I, I, I knew what you thought when you sent me here, and I've learned some things, and so I've got to do it a little differently. And it is hard to have both of those things at the same time. Hmm. Uh,
0: I, I wonder, before we let you go, if you can talk about some of the things that you think might help improve... Congress's performance, and also its relationship with the people it represents?
1: So I think there are two big things that come to mind first. The first is about attitude, and the second is about rule structures. Mm -hmm. So the one about attitude is that people have to decide that government is a thing worth doing well. Um, a, A lot of people in American public discourse have the view that government is a thing to be bashed, mm-hmm. right? that government is bad. Um, and if that's the attitude, then we're not going to invest in doing it right. We're not going to... In- if, if Congress has to be defensive about appropriating relatively small amounts of money for its own staff salaries, right. um, then we have a problem. Because without those amounts of money for staff salaries, Congress doesn't have actual experts helping them think through policy. So we have to decide that it's a thing worth doing and worth doing well with time and care and attention and resources. And unfortunately, that's not everyone's attitude now. The second is we need a different campaign finance structure. Um, We need a campaign finance structure in which members don't spend Nearly as much time as they spend now raising money for reelection. Because uh, first, they need to spend that time on other things, like getting to know each other and getting smart about the policy. And second, the need to raise the money makes them spend a lot of their time pitching to or being responsive to the people who have the money to give, which is not always the voice that you most want the representatives to be listening to. So I would say those two things, the shift in attitude towards saying government is a thing that needs to be done well and carefully and with resources, and the second, a different kind of campaign finance structure.
0: Okay, Richard Primus, constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. Always great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Always happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation about Congress and its performance with Cokie Roberts, journalist, author, and NPR political commentator who has talked and thought about these things for a very long time. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll also get to you and hear what you think about the job that Congress is doing. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the role that Congress plays in our democracy and how that role plays out right now, when we seem to have more tensions than we have had historically, and when those tensions seem more heightened than they have certainly in recent years. I want to turn now to someone who has written and thought and talked about this issue for a long time. Cokie Roberts is a journalist, author... Decades! Decades! That's right. (laughs) Cokie Roberts is a journalist and author and a political commentator on NPR's Morning Edition, and we are really glad that she is with us. Her latest book is Capital Dames, The Civil War in the Women of Washington. Koki, welcome to the show.
2: Nice to talk to you. Yeah.
0: So uh, let's start about uh, Congress' ability to address pressing issues over the course of the last few decades. How has it really changed? Are, are we really seeing something different than we've seen uh, recently, or is it that we've changed and the way we
2: think about these things is different? No, what we're seeing is definitely different. Now, we've had lots of periods of of tremendous partisanship and polarization in our history. But uh, what we're seeing now is a real inability to uh, overcome that in order to do the people's business. And uh, you see issue after issue where in polling, you know, 70% of people want something done and Congress can't do it. And um, that is that is a different place than we normally are.
0: Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I think is interesting about Congress when you talk with ordinary people about it, is it's a, little, it's a little like schools. Uh, so if I talk to somebody about education in general, they're going to lament low test scores and graduation rates and all of these things that we read about uh, that schools are not doing well. But if I ask them about their own school or their child's own teacher, I tend to get a more glowing report, right? People tend to be more right. satisfied. I think Congress is a little the same, that if I ask people about Congress, they'll talk about the things they can't get done, but they actually like the person who represents them.
2: Generally, that's true. It's been less true in recent years than it has been in the past, but it is generally true. And look, these members of Congress are totally accessible. Uh, it's not like they're off in some uh, ivory tower someplace. They're they're in the districts all the time, uh, certainly every weekend. And they're, you know, every... Uh, firehouse opening, Bat Mitzvah, First Communion—I always <laughs> they it kind of like the, the uncle you can't get rid of—and um, uh, so they are—they're not. It's not that they are um, people who are have walled themselves off from their voters. Quite the contrary, they're very available to their voters, and they do a lot of constituent services, and people do feel that. So if you have a problem with your Social Security or with your veterans' benefits or uh, with a student loan, you go to your member of Congress, and and some very uh, ardent staff member will fix it for you. And so that's uh, something very positive in people's lives. Mm. Uh, You really can make a difference in people's lives at the micro level. The, the problem Congress is having is they used to also be able to make a difference at the macro level in terms of big public policy issues, and that's just uh, very very difficult these days. And it's for a whole variety of reasons, Steve. I mean, part of it is that they it, part of it is that they are home in the district all mm-hmm. the time. They're mm-hmm. not here uh, in Washington. Um, working in the Capitol with each other, getting to know each other and trust each other uh, so that they can make policy together. And that is a change from years gone by when when members would move to Washington and their families would know each other and, and people um, had a, a relationship outside of work. and um, And that made it much easier to communicate and to compromise in order to get things done. And that's another problem is the word compromise has mm. become a dirty word well there's no way on earth you can do legislation without compromise sure. it requires you know a give here or take there and uh, and that's become very difficult uh, under the circumstances and there's a whole variety of other reasons having to do with the permanent campaign and and the fundraising and the media we are very much a part of this problem uh, in giving our microphones to the loudest shouters and the people who are going to have the fiercest argument rather than the people who are sounding sane and um and of course that's exacerbated wildly by social media and blogs and cable news and all of that and um and then there there is the drawing of district lines. We talk about this, but, mm-hmm. but people don't realize what a really detrimental effect that has, uh, the, the gerrymandering has, on the ability to get things done.
0: Yeah. Uh, of course, here in Michigan, we're about to embark on an experiment that will take us in another direction with that. Uh, we're going to have a nonpartisan commission drawing those lines instead of Uh, partisan uh, political actors, and and I think a lot of people hope that will help uh, elect better people or make districts more competitive to to elect people who are more more open to the idea of compromise.
2: Right. In the states where there are those kinds of commissions, you do have more competitive congressional elections. It's absolutely the case. Mm. Uh, And what the effect of that is is that you don't have somebody whose only fear because his district is so safe for his party that his only fear is being run against in a primary, but not being pure enough on the right as a Republican, on the left as a Democrat, uh, to survive a primary challenge. And that's why those district lines are so hazardous to any kind of policymaking. Mm.
0: Uh, Again, the number on the phones, as always, is 313 577-1019, that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Nancy on Facebook says, no, they're not doing their job. There are too many moneyed interests and corporations writing the laws. Let's go to Dave in Clinton Township. Dave, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks
1: for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I just uh, really, uh, I've followed you, but i followed Cokie Roberts for a long, long time. Uh, <laughs> long, My long comment, <laughs> yeah, God bless you. <laughs> my, my comment is regarding, I think, a mutual friend, um, David Vonyer. Mm, um, sure. He was a longtime congressman and, and left office um, that he had no worries about re- being reelected. Mm-hmm. He got tired of it. Uh, he lived in, in Washington and his family lived in Washington, and he said that
2: Things got done, and I think it's following what you're, what you're saying, Koki, is that things got done when you had a Republican sitting next to, to a Democrat, next to another Democrat, next to another Republican, because the kids played football on the same team, or their kids <laughs> played basketball. The kids, The kids and played now together, they don't know each other. the moms were in the PTA, and it was moms, at this yeah. point there were so many men, but mm-hmm. the moms were in the PTA together, we went to church together. Uh, I mean, I grew up as a child of a member of Congress, right. and eventually two members of Congress. And, well, I, um, I, I think you know, and my, my best friends were across the party spectrum, you know. And, um, and I always joke, you can't really demonize somebody whose kid is playing Clue in your basement. You know, <laughs> it, <laughs> it does make a difference.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the other things that Dave is talking about that I think is really interesting is someone like David Bonier, who was a, a sort of union liberal Democrat, but who represented a part of Macomb County, uh, right. would have a hard time, I think, today, first of all, finding his place in the modern Democratic Party, because he he was uh, also kind of conservative on, on some issues, but but he would have a hard time running in that district. I
2: that, think that's uh, absolutely exists. right, and that's what I'm talking about, is yeah. that the districts have gotten so that the that the, the, they're drawn so that the voters will elect a certain person. I mean, the the cliché is that the members choose their voters instead of the voters choosing their members, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is why your commission is such a good idea. I must say Dave Bonnier, as long as we're talking about him, was really a world-class member of yeah, Congress. Yeah, really, really uh, great. Uh, and number. he was somebody who... You know, worked really hard, but always kept his sense of humor about it. And my favorite story about Dave Bonner is that at one point in his childhood, he decked a nun. He, he, he <laughs> I don't know that story. He, he hauled off and hit a nun. <laughs> and he has lived to tell the tale. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: right. It didn't end his life. All right, Dave, thanks for the call. Let's go to Brian in southwest Detroit. Brian, I've only got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you in here.
1: Sure. Yeah. I wanted Uh to make it quick and uh, also to say how to Koki, I'm a big fan. Um, But I guess I wanted to talk um, or ask your opinion about the role of congressional leadership in their ability to to whip their caucuses, whether it's Nancy Pelosi and the Green New Deal or Mitch McConnell in uh, his agenda setting power um, or going back to uh, to Paul Ryan, to to John Boehner and sort of. Um, what role they've had in
0: uh, making an effective or ineffective Congress? Yeah, great question, Brian. Okay, we've got about a minute left, but uh, go ahead.
2: Okay, well, the the Republicans have had a really tough time with it. Their freedom Caucus on the right has made uh, leadership very hard, and they've gone through a bunch of leaders in the last several years. Nancy Pelosi has managed to have a pretty firm hand on her caucus, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that she has some young obstreperous members who would love to be fighting her every step of the way, but she, so far she's convinced them that that's not good for them and it's not good for the party. And as long as Donald Trump is there as president for them to be fighting against, she can pull them together pretty well.
0: Okay, Cookie Roberts, journalist, author, and political commentator, NPR's morning Edition and, and, and dog owner. And dog owner, as we can hear there <laughs> in the background. Her latest book is <laughs> Capital Dames, The Civil War and the Women of Washington. Thanks so much for being with us here Good on
2: Detroit to today. Yeah,
0: we'll talk with you soon. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.